This episode of The Tome Show is brought to you by our patrons at patreon.com slash thetomeshow. Welcome to The Tome, a D&D news, reviews, and interviews show, and I'm your Tome host, Jeff Greiner. And in this surprise round, we're going to travel to the Fey realm of Prismere as we discuss our first impressions of... The Wild Beyond the Witchlight. Is that right? I always put the... Yeah, it is to, to these. The Wild Beyond the Witchlight. I always just call it Witchlight, but there we are. Uh, we have gathered quite a band of carnival hands to help us run this circus. First up is the Judy Garland of our group, the unmistakable talent that is the real reason anyone is listening. Uh, a friend of the show going way back to the early days of fourth edition. Someone I haven't talked to in entirely too long. Welcome to the show, the man known as Cato Catonian. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for having me. I, it's, I'm going to go by the Cato the Catonian. For the Cato the Catonian. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> uh, and also joining in this uh, merry band is the Toto of our group. Clearly the cute factor that everyone just loves. It's our own Tome Show edition warrior and regular writer for Tribality, Brenda Stoddard. Hi. Uh, I will be referred to as simply The Definite Article. The Definite Article. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm just going to go Cato and Brandis if that's cool. Yeah, sure. All right. I'll allow it. <laughs> All right, thanks. Uh, so in this episode, we are discussing the adventure The Wild Beyond the Witch Light. Uh, the latest adventure from Wizards of the Coast. It is an adventure that focuses on fairies and whimsy. It goes from levels 1 to 8 and it attempts to engage in an adventure where if you do everything just right, you can complete the entire thing without any combat. As a reminder, in surprise round episodes, we get our first impressions of our book out very quickly after the book is released or sometimes before with the understanding that we probably haven't done a deep read-through and we definitely haven't played it. Uh, and then, if needed, later, uh, possibly months or years later, we will revisit the book after we can get together some real veterans who know it real well and dig in uh, super deep. Before we dig into it, though, I want to remind folks that if you want to support the show, you can become a patron at patreon.com slash show. And now let's talk about... Let's head on to the Feywild. Uh, I think, full disclosure, if I'm not mistaken, all of us are working from review copies and because that's how we got the book early. Is, is that incorrect? That's correct. Okay. Yep. Yep. Review copy. Uh, very happy to have a special cover. Nice. I always send the special edition covers to Tracy. Right. Uh, and, and as I mentioned before we started recording, uh, Tracy's not with us because uh, despite the fact that I paid extra for faster shipping and it was supposed to be there on Tuesday, it still has not arrived uh, and it is now Thursday. So she was not able to look at it to join us. That is the world we live in. That is uh, very much the world we've lived in for the last, what, 18, 19 months especially. <laughs> yep. If only so. there was a podcast you could tune into to get, you know, like a surprise round look at uh, right? the problems. That would be super handy. Uh, so let's talk about the wild beyond the witch light. And I want to start off by asking, what is the premise of this adventure? Uh, so I would say that the, the premise of the adventure is um, – you well so so there are two different possible hooks mm -hmm. that that 
really matter like which one you went with even through the finale it it, it super matters in right into the the last encounter and the wrap up which you picked and that's pretty cool to me mm-hmm. um so either you are uh all adults who lost something important to you as little kids and that that's often something like ephemeral um but it, it's it's lost to you uh and so you you hope to recover it, it it's everything from like a, a beloved stuffed animal to a sense of fashion right um and so that's that's one of them uh and the other is um called the warlock's quest um which absolutely sounds like something from talisman but you know what can you do um and um you you work with a warlock named uh madrick um and what's what i like about that one is that there's a special note for uh maybe there's an archfey warlock in the party mm-hmm. and so you like it tells you who your patron should be right and i think well, that's and, great and the Honestly, the the Archfey Warlock sidebar there about how to deal with patrons or whatever for that hook, I yep. think works well for the other hook. Too. Oh no, I agree. I, yeah. I think I think that if you're playing an Archfey Warlock in this adventure, just it's the right answer. Right. Don't don't mess around. It will really enrich the emotional impact of the whole deal. Right, it is my expectation, um, and you know it. Definitely makes me sad that I don't think a lot of people are playing Archfey Warlocks. But maybe, uh, maybe this adventure will change that. At least, nice. at, at least for this storyline, it'd be it'd be a, a smart play. You'd be instantly tied to the story. Agreed. So yeah, so you have those two hooks, and then from there, the I mean, you're not wrong that it matters throughout, um, but the. The path that you take, the things that you do are largely the same. It's just the sort of the consequences and the impact of them uh, are a little bit different. Yeah, it's context. Right. And so the the, the gist is um, like the warlock version tells you that um, his, his patron has been – something's happened to his patron – the the Archfey patron, and he wants you to go into the Fey realm of Prismere and find out what happened. And so the way you get there is through the the carnival. And so chapter one is really let's go play carnival games, and then chapters two, three, and four are and now let's go through the various realms of, in Prismere until eventually we end up finding the Archfey and hopefully freeing her of her curse. The Witchlight Carnival is a big um, event-based adventure. Uh, things happen at particular hours within the within the carnival, um, which certainly means that a long rest is not a thing. No, a, a long rest is not a thing, but it's also, it's it's such, like, I, I, we, I talked about how the adventure is designed so that you can, get through it without combat. Yep. You, I think in the case of chapter one with the carnival, you would have to try really hard to start a fight. You would, so, and it would end very poorly for you. Super for, uncool. For yeah. Right. Yeah. 
because um, because the carnival is all about like it's a little bit investigation where how can we find the the crossing into the Feywild from here. And it's a little bit of let's go play crazy, weird carnival games like uh, the the fairy cake eating contests and the <laughs> snail races and uh, all kinds of stuff like that. Um, in fact, I need to check something. So uh, I guess double disclosure, I also play tested this adventure. So I need to check something to make sure um, it's not it's still the same. Uh, while you're checking that, I'm going to uh, give a shout-out to uh, The Night Circus by uh, Aaron Morgenstern. I think it is a really good novel to pick up before you run this to just uh, help you, you know, envision a lot of different things about a weird circus. Uh, Night Circus is a little bit more like spooky at times and, and that kind of thing, but it isn't full-on sinister to the best i can recall so i think it would be a great that uh, ties well into to fairy stuff a great thing to kind of inspire you and inspire your npcs and your performance as a gm yeah now the thing i was checking on was the the pixie kingdom where you where it's like this whole little miniaturized kingdom but when you walk into it you shrink and then you become uh, you know, and everybody who goes into the carnival is given like little fairy wings to strap on and, and wear around. So if you look at the artwork of all the NPCs, they've all got these little fairy wings strapped on to these, these harnesses uh, over their shoulders. Um, it's it's full. It's a lot of whimsy and, and weirdness and eccentricity. And at the same time, there is if, especially it's especially comes through, I think, in the artwork that there's there's this. There's, there is a little bit of a sinisterness to it, right? The Mr. Witch and Mr. Light who run the carnival are Shatter Kai, which are like, at least in 5th edition, they are now like shadow elves, elves from the, the Shadowfell. Um, and, and, there's a, and, and there's so many references um, that are clearly for certain members of the community to sort of chuckle at, like the, the grizzled old clown who's super not happy and smokes a bubble pipe and his name is Thaco. He's, yep. he's the best character in 5th edition so far. That's my So opinion. far, yeah. But, but even, even like the, the, the snails in the snail race, one of them is named Shelly Moo, which is Shelly Mazanoble's <laughs> Twitter handle. And, you know, um, they, they just sneak in all these little uh, references and, and um, cute little inside things that I think if you don't get it, impacts you not at all. Uh, and if you do get it, is a, is a neat little sort of Easter egg, right? Yeah, like, that, that tone does mean it's not going to be for some groups, for sure. Like I think that some people will just find it too goofy. Sure. Uh, so I think that DMs need to be thinking about how they're going to bend that tone toward their group's tastes. Uh, yeah, it's it's interesting. I was thinking about it earlier today as to how to describe it, and and I don't think the word silly quite applies. I think whimsical probably is the best, but it's if if. If anyone's ever watched any of Chris Perkins running his Waffle Crew games or the Penny Arcade games, like it is definitely that kind of because Chris Perkins being, you know, the writer on this or one of the writers on this, um, it's that kind of sort of in embracing the 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 weirdness of D and D. Right. I would I would 
go along with the idea that it's that it's a Chris Perkins style of embracing the weirdness. But I would argue that Penny Arcade, their their games tend to go more into the goofy silly, right? The, the, That's true. So I think I think his work on the Waffle Crew uh, is probably a more um, because he does a he balances that he will go back and forth between very serious tone and also this kind of light uh, light hearted and silly thing. Um, I mean, he has he has Drist speak with a Bostonian. So. <laughs> Which is also a lovely inside joke because yes, our, Sal- our, our Salvatore has a really thick right. Bostonian accent. So I want to I want to um, swing back real quick and just yeah. talk about the two hooks because I think this is the, interesting to point out. Like the the adventure gives you two hooks. Uh, which I think are nice. Like some of the previous adventures will give you hooks, but they're, they tend to be kind of thin. It'll usually just be like, like one sentence, like the character might do this or whatever. And this one really spends several pages on giving you solid hooks. And the, the difference between the hooks is really one of them makes the adventure about a, uh, something personal that happens to each of the characters, which is a really nice and really strong way to tie the characters in immediately. And the second one goes for the option of it's sort of the tradi- traditional quest giver. Like um, if your group prefers something more like this, here is a quest giver who's going to tell you up front, this is the thing that needs to happen. And this is what I want to do. And that's nice too, from the, from the get go, because it basically, it says like, this is what you're going to do. And this is how, you know, when you, you've done it. Um, and it lays it out. Most of it. It's a little tricky though. Cause like the, the, the lost item one, I forget the, what it's called, but um, you're not wrong. Like it gives it a, personal connection to every character um but it also doesn't necessarily like drive you to the conclusion of the adventure that's the that is the one thing i had a problem with that i had as as well like gm has to be careful about or or doesn't have to be careful but has to think about that and and um because there's a lot of things where like the the characters will be like i don't know why i can't there's there's so many places where it seems like the adventure says is going to give you information about this other thing going on, and it's like why would the characters even ask about that? They don't know what's going on, so why does that information matter to them? Which I think is can be be tricky. So. Well, and even and and maybe I'd need to go back and read it uh, more carefully, but it doesn't even seem to me that, um, like you went into the Witchlight Carnival way back in the day and something was taken from you. You've lost something and now the carnival is back. So you go back to get it does not inherently mean. And so you find a crossing over into the, the Feywild, right? right? Because the lost thing, so far as you know, is just somewhere there in the carnival, right? Yeah. That's another thing that I found about the, the opening there that, um, I, I found a little bit, uh, tricky in terms of reading it. It's like, yeah, well, like, it gives you it gives them a hook, but then it, it, there's no other than just pushing in, into it. And you, I mean, it's kind of a player trust thing. It's like, OK, well, the adventure is going to be here. I just have to trust that that's what's going on. But the, the characters don't necessarily have any reason to to understand that there's something else is going to happen because the adventure needs this one thing to happen to give them onto the rest of the adventure. But that, you know, doesn't necessarily tie in. So, right. Although I, I don't think it would be a lot of work to just take the two hooks and, and mash him up. You know, you, you've you've all lost something, and so has yeah. this warlock, and he knows where it is, and he tells you how to get there because uh, he's lost something too, right? And so he's Actually, just one of you. I, I bet that more than usual for an adventure, you could have half the party on one hook and half the party I, on the other. I bet you could. And it still works out. Yep. Absolutely. And that's that's kind of neat. Yeah. I, f- I feel. Um, but re- regardless of those, I did th- think that I, I like that they spent time on 
on giving you giving you an option for these hooks for the adventure. I mean, in this case, it kind of it, they have to be that way because the adventure sort of relies on, um, or not that it relies on, but because it's giving you the hook, it can then in the adventure pay off parts of those mm-hmm. hooks. Right. Yep. Whereas if it's not giving you that, there's there's none of that connection. Uh, it, but I appreciate the fact they spent time on that. And it ties in like there's there's that element of you know you've lost something, right? But then they've actually reinforced that they only you've only lost something if you once snuck into the carnival without a ticket, and then they introduce these three thieves that run around and have this innate ability to know who has snuck in without a ticket and they <laughs> they and can steal things from them right. right and and so it all sort of ties in together and then if you all go in with a ticket because honestly there's not much of a reason not to um, you go in with a ticket you, you may not notice them at all they may not end up being relevant or it may just be one more weird creepy eccentric thing going on in the shadows between the tents uh yeah and Maybe there's also some some good mileage. I haven't read all the NPCs to see if they're doing this, but if there aren't already a bunch of NPCs who snuck in and lost something, I mean, that does suggest itself as you know more encounters to have. And and they also sneak in. Um, there, oh, there's a couple of other plots, right? There's there's all kinds of plots in the carnival and NPCs you can interact with. There's this there's this love story that you can help. Uh, interact with and 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 resolve with the what is it with the the mermaid um, and there's a um, there's a was it a kinku running around yep causing trouble or stealing things or whatever he's doing um, and there's a there's actually uh, a, a character they refer to as a planeswalker which makes me think they're making a reference to to magic being part of the D and D cosmology uh, who is sort of there to to nudge the PCs in the right direction, right? Um, and be helpful. Yep. yep. Uh, later on, there are NPCs from Toril and Orth and Eberron, for sure. Uh, and is there uh, Dragonlance? Is there a Dragonlance one too? Oh, there may have been. I, I again, have not read all the NPCs. <laughs> there was in the playtest. I can tell you that. <laughs> oh, fair enough. <laughs> so, so that's, a, that's another interesting thing about this setup um, is that – you technically uh, this uh, other than the, being the Feywild, which the Feywild being part of the fifth edition cosmology, the this the the setup at the beginning of this adventure just says that wherever you are, the the carnival shows up. It shows up every year, and it's showing up again. And it has been there before. But there's no other assumption that this doesn't take place in the Sword Coast it, it, in Feyrune. It doesn't take place anywhere else. So you can put it in your fifth edition game um, or. Uh, your, you know, it could be a fa- uh, Forgotten Realms, it could be Greyhawk or whatever, because um, it technically doesn't have any connections, direct connections uh, to a established thing other than the cosmology. And the, and you, like you mentioned earlier, like there are references to characters from other parts of the multiverse in here. So uh, yeah. I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah. Your, your understanding of the cosmos has to admit to the existence of other canonical uh uh, right primes that's true. right but you don't have to feature them directly in any way at all and, and honestly if you if you don't like it doesn't matter because the characters that are introduced like then fine then they just came from someplace else but it doesn't necessarily matter that they came from you know right or, or from from whatever right because you you might change the background on but 
I think things change with the spoilery part at the spoilery end. That's if that's you fair. spoiler, 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 spoiler. Which we will definitely highlight as a spoiler before we talk about it in much detail. Yeah, <laughs> I'm um, trying to see. They might. I wonder if that. I may have spoken too soon. I don't know if that Dragonlance character is there anymore. So I, I definitely wanted to touch on some of the other interesting stuff in the intro. Um, there's uh, as a tips for new dungeon masters section that I think is a really nice yeah. inclusion. Um, yes. I was going to ask you about that. Uh, like I know uh, you and Sam and Sly Flourish have talked a bunch about how more DM advice is a, a desperately needed inclusion in these published adventures. Well, like you can argue this isn't enough, but they have heard you. All right. I was going to say that, that they've heard you and, and, Sam on edition yeah, was saying that, that much also. the same thing in the DMG. <laughs> so the, the Tome show has had a consistent, uh, has had a consistent message of boy, I can't imagine being a new DM and trying to figure it out by reading the books. Yeah. Like th- this is some very nitty gritty, practical, uh, how do you narrate the mechanics of an encounter kind of text? And yep. Like it's stuff that I honestly would not have thought to write down because I've been doing this 27 years, 28 years. And, um, I just don't think about it anymore. I don't remember learning it because I must've at some point, but I don't remember. Um, and so it's great. It talks about, um, when do you tell the PCs the targets armor class and when do you hold that back? What do you say about hit points? Um, what do you say about damage? Uh, that kind of stuff. It gets really very nuts and bolts narrating the mechanics of an encounter, and I'm glad they. I'm glad it's here. It's great. Um, it also has it has some really nice stuff on on like it has a sidebar called making mistakes that basically it says yeah you're gonna make mistakes like who cares it's not a big deal and there's there are several places in there uh where they talk about like the maps and stuff like that there's a really nice section where it basically says like hey there's maps in the book reproduce them however best works at your table if you leave out stuff that's fine like it doesn't have to be perfect and it's one of those things where it's like they don't necessarily have to say that but it's kind of nice to get that permission especially if you're yep. a new gm you know and look at that and go oh okay i can like it's i'm not breaking anything by not doing this thing the the, the maker of the game said like yeah go do whatever it even says the same thing with role-playing npcs it's like we're going to give you some suggestions we're not going to tell you everything and you can you can take it or leave it if you don't use it it's fine do whatever you want it's just, yep, just nice. take that pressure off it's yeah that's super good um i, I like that there's a um a very important object with a randomized location. That's a that's a nice piece from Curse of Strahd mm-hmm. that shows up again here. Um, there's a, a fresh trinkets table, a hundred new trinkets. I think that's a is a nice bit. Uh, there are two new the, backgrounds. The trinkets table, by the way, is worth reading every single entry in it because they're very amusing. Oh, <laughs> yeah, there's yeah. eggs in there. No doubt. Um, there's two new backgrounds. The backgrounds, in addition to the standard content of a background, they also have a contact. Mm. Talk about that. Um, so there's so the two new backgrounds are the Fey Lost, um, which is someone who was in was like lost from their prime world in the Feywild for a while, and then they came back. It's it's the cl- classic changeling mythology 
not ever on changelings, but you know, changelings. Um, but in addition to having a fey mark that is sort of a quirk and you know, skill proficiency, tool proficiency, language, equipment, and a feature, Feywild Connection, they also have something called Feywild Visitor that is occasionally we have dreams with a given NPC. And that's, you know, one from a list of eight. Um, so it's a contact. I really um, like the role-playing hook of that, by the way. Just the, It just kind of gives oh, the yeah. idea. It's like, oh, yeah, like, Basically, you can just have a conversation with the character when they're having a dream, and it could be one of these characters. And it's just, and it doesn't mechanically it doesn't do much, but it's such a nice way for the GM to be able to insert stuff like I can give you hints, I can just have this fun conversation, we can develop this new character, and it's just a, it's a cool little way to introduce that. Yeah, it's it's a nice way to also have some spotlight, spotlight time for someone who might be short on spotlight. Yeah, right. Uh, and then the other one is the Witchlight Hand, um, which is. Um, a, a carny for the Witchlight Carnival, I think. Uh, yep, you've joined the carnival. So in addition to all the normal stuff, you've got uh, the carnival companion, um, which is you know, your buddy who's still part of the carnival who you run back into when you show up, right? Like, that's beautiful. That's It, it means you have some unique context. Um, and it's not necessarily an NPC that is otherwise in the text. Um, it it it's, might be someone that is getting added because of this background, but that's fine. Whatever. Yeah, it's, and, it's still and, an encounter that you have a personal feeling about. Right. That's always adding adding what is effectively characters to the party that are. I don't know. I hate having. NPCs that stick with the party for long periods of time. That oh, I have I'm not to saying run. they stick around. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't think they come with you. I'm saying you have an encounter that feels personal. Right. It gives um, you. An, I mean, it gives it you hangs an around while you're in the carnival. But you're not having fights anyway. Whatever. That's true. Like we we went over the fact that if you're fighting the carnival, son, you screwed the pooch. Something went wrong, and <laughs> everything is stronger than you. The card. Um. With, with with the potential exception of the Kinku. Okay. I think there's a chance yeah. you might have an encounter with the Kinku. Uh, so after that, we get two new races. Uh, we saw these in Anas Arcana. Um, there was a, a document of four races. Well, this is two of them. Um, so this is uh, Fairies and Harangon, the rabbit folk. Um so I much enjoyed the flavor of the the rabbit folk because of course they trade on, I mean as you expect rabbit traits like they can jump high, yep. they're kind of lucky you know so. I I was I was discussing that with my with my son that if you make a heron gone, um, monk and reskin it to be small and green you could kind of make Yoda that flips around and and <laughs> hits things. <so. laughs> I think maybe you could play a fighter with the um, samurai subclass. Absolutely. Uh, it's, it's just a comic book springing right to mind here. Yep. Just So now that we have the Heron guns, we have rabbit folk, like what, what is the next anthropomorphic uh, thing in D and D? Because we've gotten so many so far. We have birds with the Kenku and the Aarakocra. We have turtles and we have dragons. We have lizards. And we have uh, tabaxi. And we have tabaxi, right? We don't have dog folk yet. Right. right? I was going to say, so, somebody pointed out recently to me on online that how is it possible that we have cat folk for so long 
and we don't have any dog food. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I mean, you can get most of the way toward a PC playable werewolf with a shifter. You can play get most of the way toward a PC playable fill in and throw here. True. No, very true. With, with shifters, right? Well, that's, and, that's sort and of their pitch. I'm trying to remember. Did was it Volos that gave us a bunch of monster races? Was there yeah. a null, was there nulls yeah. in there? Oh, I don't remember. Because don't that would that would be dog. Uh, yeah, I feel like at at that point in JD's discussion of gnolls, uh, all gnolls were evil and possibly fiendish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But as long as I got the mechanics, I can, I can. That, right. Yeah. File yeah, the rest yeah. of it off. We haven't seen an insect folk in fifth edition yet, Ooh. right? Like, there's no because because we don't have a dark sun. Saving it for dark sun, yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, so, so you, uh, we have lizard folk, obviously. Right. Lizard folk, sure. Um, so yeah, so that's that's more or less, you know, and you go through this whole process uh, of playing games and having fun, and then there's all these events that take place throughout the carnival because um, we have successfully spent half of our time and talk, and we haven't gotten out of chapter one. Uh, which honestly is fine um, because chapter one – it's interesting to me. Chapter one is where the brand team has spent like all of their time uh, in marketing this. So the cover of the book is all about the circus, at least of the, the, the standard cover, right, is all circus themed. That's Mr. Witch and Mr. Light on it. Uh, it's always interesting to me. That like in an adventure, what you put on the cover, because the cover is really evocative of chapter one and nothing else. Right. Because you once you get out of the circus, you don't like what you did in the circus matters, but you don't really revisit that circus theme again through the whole adventure. Uh, and, and but that said, I like the fact that what you do in the circus matters. Right there, there are um, situations where what you've done in the carnival um, can actually produce effects later on when you're actually in Prismere. There's a nice thing that so they put in the back of the book. There's like a couple of trackers, which it's one of these things where I'm like, I understand why they put these in the back of the books, but I'm like, you can make that a PDF download. I don't know why they bother the page count on them. Um, but the nice thing is in the first chapter, the book does a really good job. And this is particularly good for, for new gyms, but it's good for me too, who forgets a lot. It's it'll say like, if the PCs did this thing, write a note in the tracker that says this, and it will come up later. Um, in the past, they've had things like not quite like that. This adventure trades on that a lot, which I think is really nice. It's really cool because there's this there's this um, tangible of later effect of a thing that you did. In other adventures, you might have something like that come up, and it won't tell you that. And you'll get you'll get three chapters in, and it'll be like like wasn't I supposed to remember something about this thing that they did earlier? And you know, mm-hmm. and it, it 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 is remarkable to me that I am so dense that it wasn't until like an hour ago that I realized how much this adventure is playing on Oz. Oh yeah. Right. And it's, and it becomes a blatant when you start looking at, so, so long story short, you go through the, the events at, at the carnival and you eventually you're allowed to go through the, the, the portal or whatever to, to Prismere. And there you've got the, the, the realm of Prismere has been broken up into three, uh, realms controlled by three hags that have taken the land from Zabilna, the the archfey who r- ruled the place. Um, 
And in order to get from one of those realms to the other realms, you need a guide. One of the guides <laughs> is a little scarecrow. One of the it's guides is can. an animated oil can. Yeah. And one of the guides is a dandelion. Which right. I had to th- I, I had to think about because even <laughs> the lion in the Wizard of Oz even refers to himself as a dandelion. Yeah. Um, and and so yeah, so so it's clearly there was you know there and the circus theme and there's balloons, uh, you know, hot air balloons. Yep. In, uh, mm-hmm. in Prismere, like it's very clearly, uh, you know, uh, jumping to the end. Uh, one of the big threats at the end is the Jabberwock. Um, and, and of course you can defeat it with the Vorpal sword named Snickersnack, uh, you know, and so like, it's clearly like leaning into that really heavily. And, and I bring that up now because we were talking about how the things you do in the circus sort of are mirrored later on when you're going through Prismere in the exact same way that like the things that, that, um, Dorothy goes through in Kansas then becomes mirrored in her experiences when she goes to Oz. Like the things that she does and the people she sees kind of show up again uh, in this fantastical world. And so I I realize all of a sudden that's kind of what (laughs) I want. I imagine that's kind of what they were aiming for. They were trying to, you know, you did this thing and then it showed up here too. Ha ha. Just like, just like the wizard of Oz. So. Yeah. I think that's wonderful. No, no, I just want to say it was wonderful. Like that, that's that's a nice. What follows, you know, mm-hmm. actually comes from what came before in, in what feels like a, a way that means something. Yeah. So this adventure is, uh, you know, if you needed to sum this up, this adventure up to anyone to give it like a parallel to something else, it, it is it is a and d take on Alice in Wonderland and Wizard of Oz. Those are the two strongest, I think, influences on there. There's ob- obviously other stuff in, and a little bit of mm-hmm. maybe a little bit of The Hobbit if you want to go for like the, the Tolkien-esque part. But I wouldn't say that's that's a huge um, thing. But if you, well, if you talk about whimsical compared to some of the other D&D products. And do I remember correctly that um, there was talk – back in was it out of the abyss that that was yep. sort of yep. themed yep. to alice in uh, wonderland they, they definitely compared that to alice in wonderland yeah. uh especially around i think the the wedding scene kind of just being sort of well and all and all the npcs that you start off with kind of uh so uh, many of them are allusions to characters from, mm-hmm. from wonderland mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. so yeah so, so that was in my mind. That was Alice, and this time they decided to do Oz. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so anyway, so yeah, we we ran through the end of of the first chapter, but then yeah, you get to the you get to the to the three realms, uh, uh, hither, thither, thither, and yon, um, controlled by the three hags um, who have stolen Prismere from the Archfey Zabilna. Uh, by basically freezing her and her entire palace in time. Uh, and while Zabilna and her, I don't know, entourage are all frozen in time, um, the Prismir is, is, you know, ripe for their taking, right? Yeah. I think it's important, to, and you're saying it here, but I think it's important to point out, because if you, you wouldn't know if you don't have this product, you know, that... This is a Feywild adventure, but it is a fa- it's an adventure in a very specific mm-hmm. and previously un like this. This is a new creation for Fifth Edition, as far as I could tell. I didn't find any references to this particular domain previously, so yeah. it's 
if you're if you're going into this expecting this is a Feywild adventure that's going to have like the Sea League Court or anything like that, that's not what this is. They're they're picking a specific uh, you know chunk um, right. uh, where you're you're adventuring in that's that's kind of new. Not that that's good or bad. It's just, just well, how it is. Although there it's are like, there are uh, Shadowfell and exploring the entire right. Shadowfell. Or there are allusions to the rest of the Feywild because there is a character that is there that is a, an, a, an agent or whatever, uh, a messenger from uh, the Sealy Court. From the Sealy Court, yeah. That was trying to convince Zabilna to, to team up against the um, – or oh, the, those giant things that they fight sometimes. The Fomorians. The Fomorians, yes. Um, also, I wanted to – before we go on to this, I did want to circle back real quick to talk about the, um, the and I think this is true for the rest of the adventure too. But like, one interesting thing I think about the opening chapter where you're, which takes place at the carnival, like, I definitely think, you, sir, I don't know that all groups will, will jibe with it because on, is it really it is it's a whole chapter about kind of just doing some exploring, doing some investigation, and just playing some fun games because they're there. Um, it's a, it's very role playing heavy, which is fine. But like, yeah. I honestly thought like reading it, I'm like, man, if I'm like the guy who's the 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 you know a fighter who just wants to knock kick down doors and and brash skulls, I'm going to be bored out of my mind in this this chapter you, <laughs> and you, maybe the rest of the book. <laughs> yeah, you definitely need to have a conversation with your players to see if this is the kind of story that they're interested in trying out. Honestly, I find it refreshing. Because oh, yeah. every other adventure that, that's been published can be solved by kicking down the door and hitting it with your axe. That's uh, exactly right. And, and I find this to be a different take that I've seen in all of my playing of D&D. Um, I haven't seen an adventure that quite captures this kind of whimsy and can be uh, – and, and not – is not at any point – even in the in the big conclusions sort of stuff, it, there's no like we have to kill the big bad because um, right. there's you don't have to kill any of the big bads. Right. Yeah, and I and I'm not criticizing it on that front. Just a, it's yeah. just more of like a, a heads up reading yeah. it. Like, hey, there might be people in your group that like this is not their play style um, because uh, you know it does it it does it's not you know kicking down doors and and yep. and whatnot. So I did also think, and I'm not sure this is true, but I was reading through it. I'm like, I wonder if the popularity of streaming games and things like that, if that influenced the the writing of this book because of the way a lot of the things are structured in the book. And I'm sure like unconsciously maybe, but I don't know if there is any conscious thought to like this book probably plays really well in a streamed game. And, oh, and for I, sure. And I think, right? sure. I think there was some explicit effort made to create an adventure that could more easily be very family friendly as well. Like mm. this, this is a game that you could play with your eight year old and you don't have to have so many conversations of, is it okay to just walk in and slaughter all the goblins? Yeah. That's um, a good point. Um, I think that was very intentional and honest, but honestly it, because it's so different than like anything else, uh, it's just super fun regardless. You know, um, uh, I've, I've mentioned that, that I was also a play tester for this and I can honestly say that in the two plus years I've been playing with my current group, play testing a couple of chapters from this adventure is probably the most fun we've ever had in a sing- in, in a session. Um, like it was really, nice. it was really fun. And, you and, heard it, and, and it ended, says best fifth edition adventure. Oh, and it ended in a TPK <laughs> and we still had a blast. So <laughs> <laughs> that's a, wow. that's a, yeah. 
and 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 um, and to their credit, um, you know, I reported uh, what happened and whatever, and they made some changes in the final product I checked that I think would have avoided that TPK. So, I also think that it's worth pointing out that the like tones of hither, thither, and yon mm. are not the same as the carnival. Yeah, right, like, right. Yon gets to be bleak, actually, and that gives it a sense that it calls to mind maybe never-ending story for me. Mm. But there's still there's still like weird eccentricities and whimsy. Right. It's just it's just not a, a, the carnival. The color nature. palette shifts. Yes. Um, right. I think that's I think that's nice. Uh, it gets to be maybe a creepier one, um, but like. Also, there's a lot of maybe labyrinth in this. Yeah, right. Um, and so, if you if you love labyrinth, well, you're going to be right at home here. Or at least you're gonna you're gonna have you're gonna have the moments to 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 do that type of story too. I guess. Yeah. The story yep. isn't going to be like we're doing labyrinth, but but there's oh, going to no, no. there's going to be moments where you're like, oh, there's there's some cool labyrinth moments here, or right. or um, there's even. Um, Sort of a, a what? It, what was that? Was that the the Tom Cruise? Was it the Last Unicorn? Was that the name of it? Uh, legend. Legend. That's what I was thinking of. There's even some legend, um, um, sort of allusions. Yeah, like it, it'd be nice if they would straight up do uh, Last Unicorn. Um, and well, clearly, I don't know like, the difference. So you. <laughs> well, Last uh, Unicorn was animated for starters. Oh, okay. right. <laughs> Um, and had a soundtrack by America with "It's Awesome" <laughs> or "Tangerine Dream." So there, there were two le- legends. Of, anyway, no problem. Right, right, right. Um, so, so yeah, like, so yeah, I don't know. Of, I don't know that it's meaningful to necessarily go through each of the three right. realms, other than to say there's three realms. Each of them is ruled by a different hag. There's all kinds of different tasks and NPCs to run into. I like that even the random encounters are like, here's weird stuff you encounter, but it's not necessarily yeah. here's stuff that tries to rob you or fight you. Uh, I think that weird in in, in uh, Hither with all the feet like that. Yeah. There's, a, there's a piece of art that I flipped through and I didn't notice it at first. And you go back and it's this in and it has all these legs. And I'm like, that is gross. But yeah. cool. I mean, so the you can basically say the Hither, Thither and Yon in terms of like adventure structure. They are the. They're not the same, but it's the same kind of thing each one. It's like well, you go to the section, there's a bunch of these little things that you can interact with, and then there's the the confronting the the you know, the big thing in each which is right. I mean, to be fair, that's true for every D and D thing. it's almost a dungeon structure, but without the dungeon. Well, and it's also I think worth noting that um, the entire adventure is it's kind of a series of what, five sandboxes connected by a railroad. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like, yeah. like yeah. you have to go from the carnival to hither to thither to thither to yawn to the palace. Right. But once you're in those individual places, like you can go anywhere, and there's a dozen. Di- it's like it's like a whole bunch of little mini Barovias. Like Barovia was, you know, there's definitely a beginning and an end and different events that take place. But it was a little sandbox, right? Each of these places is like a little mini sandbox. And you can do a thing, but you're going to enter the. Everybody's going to enter one way, and everybody's going to leave one way. Uh, well, but everything in between is pretty pretty fluid. And and what I like is they kind of 
give a hat tip to that in in the marketing because this is a domain of delight. Right. <laughs> um, Instead of a domain of dread, got it. Right. Yeah. Like <laughs> as sort of the Feywild spins off domains of delight. The Shadowfell spins off domains of dread. Yeah, I, I'm kind of into that. I can I can buy that. Oh yeah, I can buy that. Uh, it does make me want to see maybe an astral that sp- spins off uh, domains of dream. Ooh. I I might be super into Sandman though. That's a real possibility. <laughs> <laughs> now I gotta. So what would be like? Um, what would the ethereal spin off have domains of, or the the do we go through all the inner and outer planes too? <laughs> and do, uh, and do, they uh, have, uh, do they all have to so, have the alliteration of domain, domains of something with a D? Right. Well, <laughs> if something doesn't wind up getting called a domain of destiny, you did it wrong. Eventually, like, sure. Go, go back and try again. There needs to be a domain of destiny. Come on, right? wizards. I mean, although right? how, much, how much space was there between domains of dread and domains of, of delight, right? I, I guess they, if they add one new domain per decade or two, then, then they're doing yeah. all right. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> Yeah. So I was curious, and 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 Jeff, maybe you can speak to this if you ran any of it, and you you may or may not know. But uh, in so I read through most of Hither, the first um, area, and so there are all these little there's there's a bunch of these little kind of you can call them encounters. Uh, I think mean, that's probably what you would call them. These kind of little sections of things that you can do or encounter. The one thing that, and, and this is always hard because reading adventure, reading an adventure is nothing like running an adventure. Like there's so many things that you can read an adventure and go, that sounds awesome. And then you play at the table and you go, that does not work at all. Like it, it, it just doesn't right. come out. And the same thing, like you can read stuff in an adventure and go, I don't, I've had this happen numerous times. Like I read something in adventure and I'm like, that's fine. And then when you go play at the table, like, Oh, that turned out to be awesome. And that's usually because of how, how much effort you and the, the players put into it. And the world has just given you these options. But so like reading through Hither, I was a little unsure as I'm reading through it. Like it kind of like presents you with, you know, some of it struck me as just like, okay, the adventure is telling you these stories and showing you these things, but there didn't seem like there's a lot to do. Like you could go to, from place to place and, and, but cause like there's like a quest really early on in there where you have to go do something. And it seems to literally be, you just go to that place and talk to the person. They're like, okay. Right. And I'm like, but what do you do? <laughs> like, like, so I don't know that I can necessarily speak to that because the, the chapters that I ran were the first one and the last one. Uh, oh, which, are, which are the only two where you where that's not the case, right? Um, yeah. So, um, so I don't and know I, how that'll play out, but but I can tell you that that having those NPC, especially if if the Witchlight Carnival becomes precursor, because uh, it's much the same way. You kind of have an end thing that you need to do, but there's a million things and, and NPCs to meet, and and you ran into this this lovesick mermaid and that becomes your own little, you create your own little side quest because you're interested in that or, you know, whatever. So I think it's a lot of, a lot of that. Um, So I think you're right. Like it's one of those things where I'm reading it and I'm like, I can't tell how this will play out. And I think it really depends on your group because you're, you're often surprised at what your, your group may latch onto something and really dig this tiny side story or something you made up at the table. And that's great. Like that's one of the great things about D and D. I have to say, um, on a, on a note that is not a critique of the book or or what, what Wizards has done in any way, shape, or form, um, because I had so much fun all the way back at the playtest, I um, 
I knew I wanted to to really invest in this, and I bought the Beetle and Grimm Platinum Edition. Yeah. Um, and and so, uh, which is another reason I'm half considering like maybe we'll do Witchlight into Descent into Avernus because I have that Platinum box too from. <laughs> <laughs> so it'll be just a whole campaign of all kinds of like handouts and and props and things. But um, one of the things they have in it is is a a little plush. Um, of of the the fairy dragon, Sir yeah, Tolliver or whatever, yeah. um, which is cool and it's interesting, but not really a major character. Like it, it's it, right. it's it's not like Lulu from Descent into Avernus, where this is a plush that's going to be following you around for the entire game. Uh, yeah, it's a and, really small part, right? And I'm kind of disappointed in that in in what Beetle and Grimm did with their plushes if only because if you were going to pick something that was just kind of cool and cute and quirky um and and but isn't a major thing that you're going to deal with in, for the entire adventure I kind of wish they had done the little baby kitten displacer beast that I'm reminded yeah. of by looking at Brandis's cover uh, right. because that was super cute. And I want like a really soft, plushy uh, <laughs> baby displacer beast that, that would have been just fantastic for that. So they've, yeah, they've really gotten a lot of leverage out of uh, little baby monsters lately. I think there was <laughs> there was a product that that came out at one point. There was a third party product, and now Wizards is like, yeah, you're they're right. That is kind of cute. <laughs> so now there's a little baby like owl bears and and displacer beasts and stuff in all their adventures. Right. So ultimately, uh, we kind of uh, skim through that. You go through uh, the three hags realms and. Basically, you go through a thing, especially if you did the the um, the hook with the lost items. Um, odds are, those lost items are in the possession of of the one of those hags, and so you ultimately like confront them or do a thing for them or to them or whatever, and you find one of the lost things. And the hags have like turned all of your lost items into magic items or something, as I recall. Yeah. Um, and then you you finally end up at the palace, Zabilna's palace, where you find that the entire palace has been frozen in time uh, by the cauldron of Igwilev. Um, and since everything was frozen in time, anything that was there when it was frozen is frozen still. But anything that was like not there and has come later is not frozen. And so there's... Uh, all kinds of there's still all kinds of fun and quirky NPCs that have shown up, and um, there are other adventuring parties. Um, mm-hmm. uh, as I recall, are they both frozen or is one of them frozen? I don't recall now. Oh, so a good- it's, it's some of them are frozen. I think is okay. the, the I think there's some that were not there at the time who are under, okay. that you meet earlier. But so you've got you've got. Um, You've got the basically the evil adventuring party and the good adventuring party running around, um, interacting with you through this whole thing. One of which is the is you know at one point they in the marketing they were pushing the fact that that was it War Duke shows up as as this classic D and D villain as one part of the evil adventuring party. Yep, uh, a bunch of my friends commented on having had the uh, action figure of of War Duke. Which they had hint, uh, um, uh, Perkins had made a reference to in, is that Xanathar's guide where there's a oh. there's a there's a um, dread helmet in in the list of common magic items there's a dread <laughs> helmet and all it does is it looks cool and it makes your eyes glow. <laughs> that was, it was clearly a reference to to, to War Duke. So it now it reappears in this book um, and it has artwork for it which is nice. 
And so you go through the the palace and there's this door mechanic thing where um, sometimes you can open the unicorn doors and sometimes I think it's unicorn and sometimes you open the lion doors and you can get access to different things and different characters and secrets and whatever by by opening certain doors at certain times or what have you Um, and and curled around the um, the cauldron of Igwill of. Um, that has frozen everything in, in time is the Jabberwock that Zabilna apparently like treated like a pet and it was, but it was gone at the time that everything froze and now it's there, which is kind of your big threat, right? Cause the Jabberwock is a, is a badass creature to be fighting at, at eighth level or seventh level. I think you are at that point. Um, and, and, and that's also where you start to get some, um, some hints and some clues about what what Prismere is and how it came to be. And I think this is where we warn everybody that big spoilers are coming or not. Brandis wants to say something before spoilers. So I want to get this in before we go to spoilers, because I think that people might need to like skip the rest of the episode once we really get into spoilers. Okay. We don't have a good way to tell them to come back. No, because we don't know how long we're going to talk about it. Right. So, so I want to get the thing about spellcasting that we talked about before the show. So, a, a quick thing: NPC stat blocks are pretty different here. Um, spellcasters uh, don't have a traditional like spells prepared um, and number of, of slots. You know, acts as a seventeenth level spellcaster or whatever. That's basically gone. Uh, what they have instead is a few spells and then some custom actions that behave like spells, except that as a rules object, they are not spells and cannot be counterspelled. Um, so that is a big change. Uh, we'll see what that means going forward. But right, so the the evil sor- the sorcerer from the evil party, uh, for example, has a, a an ability an action called Sorcerer's Bolt, which is basically. Um, is that even oh, it's force damage? So it's basically what? It's not magic missile. It's two d twelve force damage, um, but it's basically a, a, a spell uh, that he that he can do at will uh, and doesn't count as a spell. So you can't right. counter spell I mean, it. Basically, that's like Eldritch Blast. It's just oh, yeah, yeah. He's supposed to be a sorcerer. He has a sorcerer's bolt. Right. It's not. It's not a spell you could learn. It doesn't behave like any actual extant spell mm-hmm. because it doesn't. And each of them has one of those, and then they still have spells, other spells, right? So if they try to do, right. if, he, if he tries to cast mirror image, you can still counterspell that. Sure. Yep. Um, but they all have a like a primary attack that can't be counterspelled. The ancient paladin's aura that I think have spell damage doesn't affect it because it's not a spell. Um, that kind of thing. Um, and uh, a bunch of them also have special, special equipment, so that's pretty cool because they, they're they enemy adventurers. They have cool gear. I um, saw this adventure maybe for the first time, and I'm sure it's not the first time in 5th edition, but it's really rare. There's an NPC in early on in Hither who has a bonus action, and they rarely give NPC – they rarely yeah, give Monster Stamp Blocks yeah. bonus actions intentionally. Yep. Um, it's, it's super uncommon, but they have done it a tiny bit here. Uh, I mean – um, uh, Scabbath and Nightshade has, bo- has uh, a bonus action. Um, there, 
uh, uh, War Duke has bonus actions because he's a fighter. I wonder if they're changing their if they've decided like ah bonus actions maybe aren't that big of a deal a DM can handle it because I think the original thought was like we don't want to make the DMs have one more thing to track so they weren't giving bonus actions but yeah I don't know I I'm not sure what the what the like meta thinking is there it, it does feel like they have so with with that stuff with the spellcaster I do like um, it's hard to to talk about without showing us a, a stat block because you need to see the text but. So, like, previously, it would say for a spellcaster, like, it would list their the levels and the spells at level. And now, I think everyone in this book just says, at will, and then a certain number of times per day, and it lists yep. different spells, which is much easier as a DM to run. And it's very, it's, I, I'm, it's kind of like they're looking at some of the lessons from 4th edition, how they did the powers for um, those, and making that a little bit easier to to run at the table. Yep, it is it's very much more like a 4th ed NPC written in fifth ed. It, it also it also takes a lot of the advice for spellcasters from the monsters know what they're doing and makes it moot because you can't you can't <laughs> you can't upcast things now. Um, and, That's and, a good point. And honestly, like there's a, there are situations where you know I've cast mirror image and you're going to counterspell it or or whatever, right? And and what is the what is the number I've got to hit on a dispel magic or something like that if I have to roll? Um, yeah, I assume it's cast at its lowest level, right? But we don't know what the spellcaster's level is. I suppose the, the spell's level is what's most Spell important. level? Yeah. It's a good question. Sounds like something Jeremy Crawford will be answering. So. Maybe you just use the spell save DC uh, as as the DC to hit those rolls. I don't know. Um, because that that changes the math of a bunch of how the game works. I am a little surprised that they instituted that change and they didn't have a call out that said, "Hey, uh, experienced DMs, we've made this change to our formatting. This is how we feel it's um, going to right. play out." And yeah, I, been- I, I don't hate this system because one of the things I've hated uh, for a really long time in stat blocks in multiple editions is giving me a bunch of spells that now I have to look up and track slots and, yeah. and remember that they can upcast them and do all that kind of stuff. Um, it's just more than it's extra stuff to track that I don't want to do as a DM, but changing it at this point in the edition changes <laughs> the mechanics of a bunch of other things, you yeah. know? Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm very much of a mindset that I like spells that NPCs cast to be real objects in, in the rules that players could learn. Like, this NPC works like me feel uh, that, that communicates something that feels like something. Um, especially if you're playing a wizard, like, Oh, I killed that wizard. No, you can't have his spell. It's not a real spell is frustrating. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm willing to kind of be, you know, alone on this one if I got to, but it, this does bug me. Um, I think, and and so let me let me proffer this. I wonder if it bugs you because you're on the DM side and you see you you're seeing the matrix as it were. Whereas if you're on the player side, when that when that spellcaster casts the spell, that's like fireball, but it's just a power for him. To a player, that just looks like fireball, right? No, no. Uh, until they like try to counter spell, you can't counter it. <laughs> oh, because you can't counter it, right? No, okay. Right. That's, so and, that's and that I thing can, that looks like you. a magic missile but can't be shielded because it isn't a magic missile. That's a problem. It, yeah, like it's it's so altering the meta exactly. in a real way, and like the spells have been written up to this point as if both PCs and NPCs would use them, and that stops today. Yeah, I, well, I think that's 
We don't know if it stops today. We know it's not true in this adventure. True. That's and, fair. And, and, this, and this adventure is... It's a, it's a Feywild thing, right? Like, right. this is just a magical power of the Feywild. Right. Or, or you know, we're trying to make something that's family-friendly, and we don't anticipate a lot of combat, and you shouldn't be sure. having to deal with it very much anyway, so <laughs> sure. let's just make it the simple future, for, for DMs. The future's a mystery. That's fair. Uh, they have, like, they seem to go in a direction, and then change course you know, again there is a degree to which i have uh, a real appreciation for the fact that wizards with fifth edition has been willing to experiment a little bit and figure out what works and what doesn't work uh, and they do it with adventure design the, the the only parts that drive me a little crazy is that sometimes it feels like they're ex- doing similar experiments over and over again for you know three years and it's like all right now you got to make a decision about what worked and, and move with it you know so Although, uh, uh, for example, um, they were experimenting with flowcharts for a long time, and it very quickly <laughs> stopped. It very quickly stopped working, and I just now realized this is like the first adventure in forever that doesn't have a flowchart, and that's yeah. probably good. <laughs> uh, I mean, in this, you as you're pointing out, you do just go from the beginning of the book to the end of the book, right? Although there's all kinds of places to wander in between, right? Yep. Uh, within a chapter, you go wherever. Yes, but yeah. It, the the flowchart would would probably be like you know, a four series of blobs with a bunch of stuff scattered, and you could go wherever you wanted, you know. <laughs> so, you know, but but there's one little line connecting each blob, you know. <laughs> so, uh, and one other thing that about step blocks that I'll bring up just because it came up on Twitter, um, alignment presentation has shifted again. Yeah. Um, a lot of creatures are now listed as typically alignment goes here. Uh, as right. opposed to uh, a, a lot of previous, oh, sorry, uh, I want to say Candlekeep Mysteries uh, does away with giving things alignments. Right. Uh, I don't remember what they do in Ravenloft because I haven't looked at it in a minute. But yeah, I don't have it with me. Yeah, no, and they were moving away from defined alignment, and now they've moved towards typically. At least with this book, it's typically it's this. Or if it's an individual character, right. they they don't shy away from just you know, uh, Scavitha Nightshade is neutral evil. That is her alignment because that is there's only one of her. Yep. Yeah, uh, and, and like describing a, a named NPC as typically would have been kind of nonsense. Right. So you know, and and yeah, call. so so I don't, I don't know that I dislike this. Shift. I think they no, were right. I'm okay to, with this one. They were right to move away from just saying all orcs are evil, um, or, or even implying it because the text does say like what what we're saying here is a trend, right. and they have plenty of NPCs that break trends. Right. Um, uh, another nice thing: um, the a lot of the named NPCs have um, uh, traits, ideals, bonds, and flaws. Yeah, they do. Yes. That's that's a good. So you get a little tip on, tip on on role playing for him uh, as a yeah. DM, which is useful. Yeah, there's a whole section in the back for the some of the other NPCs that are they're meant to be cards that you can photocopy and print out that just give you role playing hints. Which it is nothing when you go back and read them. There, I think there's nothing really in them that isn't in the text, but it it consolidates them in one place. No, yeah, no. One of the things, um, like the one of the things that made this adventure super fun to run was that there's all kinds of fun, quirky and unique NPCs. But as a DM, 
that's also really hard if I have to play lots of them in in sequence or in the same. Like like I I I liked I liked doing it here because there weren't like all of them all at once. Uh, I hated doing it in Out of the Abyss because like there's 15 NPCs on in chapter one and you're playing all of them simultaneously and through <laughs> the entire game. You know so yeah. Um, uh, but I like the, the the idea of the cards. The only thing that I dislike about the cards and the story tracker um, that they put in uh, and that kind of stuff. Oh, what, what's this other one? The um, oh, the, the stage frights lines. Uh, there's all kinds of different lines you could pull out. Uh, is that is that um, you know? Yes, I could photocopy those and use those. But they're pretty good at making you know cards and and yeah. poster maps and stuff. Like I feel like those could have all been uh, punch out sort of cardstock pages that that would be really cool to get. Although who knows? Maybe maybe in the accessory set that they'll sell with this that I don't think is out yet. Um, right. They'll maybe that'll include these things too. I expect that if they added too much more than the um, the poster map. The, the, the poster map in the back, they start messing with their binding. That's probably true. You're probably not wrong. And they've had a history of binding problems in 5th edition publishing. Lord, have they. <laughs> so. Yeah, I, I definitely have some, some bad bindings that, well, we rebound them, so they're fine now. But. Right. Yep, I had I had my, both my first player's handbook and Monster Manual uh, spiral bound. So, <laughs> Which I think I did a whole episode about. Um, okay, so... it's. Also, before spoilers, it's yeah. Uh, uh, and this has been talked about on like social media or whatever, but uh, it is always nice to point out like this is a gorgeous book. Like oh, fifth, fifth edition art great. is is always good, but like it's it's really hard to get across in pictures unless you until you see this book in person how pretty it is. There's this really cool um, the corner page. So and they've done this in other books. The the corner pages where the numbers are have a little uh, splash on them. And this one, they're different colors based on the section. So if you look at the spine, there's this nice little sort of. Um, uh, it actually does work because you can look at just glance at them and go, oh, I'm still in the you know hither section or thither section. But uh, but even the backs, the splashes behind the splats behind the art are really pretty. And there's some subtle diagrams. And this book does a lot of purples and blues and these sort of really bright hues. It's really nice. It's, it's very color saturated. And, yeah. and they haven't done, like, I don't remember wizards doing much in terms of really evocative fey wild or fey stories very much in the past. And so I feel like it needs the visuals to really put you in that place and to visualize it and, and what have you. And they did it and it's, and it's brilliant. And, well, Jeff, there's been one really good one. What what am I not thinking of? Can we keep mysteries? Come on now. Well, yes, <laughs> but that's that's not a whole book. That that's not a campaign. That's a that's a, a, a one really good adventure that I ran and, and thoroughly enjoyed. <laughs> so, <laughs> the uh, the other uh, uh, creature that totally should be a plush uh, is the Campestri. <laughs> it is, it is a great drawing. which which is actually the one that was done by uh, a friend of the show Claudio Posas um, and and I was you know and he was talking about it on Facebook and I'm like you know if you want to make a million dollars right now start selling plushes of this and he says boy I wish I could but apparently yeah. uh, right. Wizards owns the rights to do that kind of stuff so he, he can sell prints but he can't sell plushes so well he just wants to market it as something with serial numbers filed off right <laughs> so there's, there's there's several things in here that would make some really good little fun little plush things so maybe we'll 
maybe wizards will jump on that and maybe make some fun things. Okay, should we should we jump to the end and talk about spoilers? Big super spoiler alert! Big big super spoiler alert! Big 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 super spoiler alert! Big super spoiler alert! At this point, if you are listening, you are willing to hear. Um, exactly what the big secrets are of this story. If that is something you want to save, you should probably stop listening. If you are a player, uh, you don't have a choice. I demand that you stop listening now if you are a player. <laughs> this, is a, this, this is a cool reveal. I yes. think it would be a lot of fun in play. Yes. So make your own decision. But, man, I would love to like discover this. Run into this as a player and right. have this reveal hit me. I think it's cool. Yep. Okay, so let's talk about uh, Zabilna. So Zabilna is the archfey that uh, created and ran Prismir. Zabilna is the one that's frozen in time because of Igwilv's cauldron, um, and and who you know the warlock is the the patron of and whatever. Um, but there are hints early. And real strong clues in the palace that Zabilna is not does not simply go by the name Zabilna, uh, but Zabilna is actually Igwilv, which is one of your clues, right? Uh, that the Igwilv's cauldron is sitting here in Zabilna's uh, lair. Uh, and, but those of us who know deeper D and D lore, especially was it Greyhawk lore? Um, Igwilv is also Tasha of Tasha's Cauldron of Everything, right? So, so uh, the the Archfey that you're going to save is actually the big bad badass uh, uh, Arch Wizard um, who talks about how silly Morden Kanan is. Right? <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> and and they- it's all uh, like an elaborate like ruse she's put on, but she's awesome enough that she can still grant Archfey warlocks their powers. Right. So well, and, that's and, pretty cool. And I mean, how much of it is a ruse? Like, I don't know. I've always kind of sort of considered it, you know, it's not that Tasha is pretending to be Igwilv or, or Zabilna. She just is those things too, right? I think um, that's that's a fair read. And, the, and the, the text talks about her hiding as Zabilna. Oh, okay. Well, and, but she also, she has a history of, of Faye, right? She was raised by, by Baba Yaga. Yep. Uh, and so she has this Faye background. Uh, and you start to see clues of it early on. I think there's an illusion in the carnival. There's like a display case that talks about Tasha. There's a display case with her, yeah. And there's the connection. Uh, she can't, I think they tell you that she visits the chi- – when your PCs are children – she takes a part in that. Like there, there's a connection there because there's a line later on that she, that references that I, if I okay. remember correctly. But so nice. there's, they do a nice job of putting these little connections. Like once you get yeah. to the end, you're like, Oh, okay. They put all these things in here. Right. Earlier. Well, and, and it gets, if you go to the right place in the palace, there's even like uh, images of her from the past, present and future that, that, you know, you, then you see the little chicken foot tattoo on the cheek and, and there's the, the, those like paintings of her in her different forms. There's Igwilv, Zabilna and, uh, and Tasha all there. Uh, and you start to put two and two together real strongly at that point. I believe you can also get a chicken foot as one of the trinkets. Oh, nice. It's nice. listed in the, in the thing, which is pretty cool. Yeah. So, but that, 
that fact turned out to be really fun uh, and really interesting to me. Um, you know, uh, and the fact like it, it especially hit me as super interesting because um, the playtest packet came out. I don't know, six months or so or less after Tasha's was published. And so that was still kind of the big topic of conversation. And, <laughs> and I'm sitting here as we're playing it and giggling to myself. Yeah, but she's there. The person you're talking about is right here <laughs> the whole time, right? Uh, and so that was that was super fun. Um, I don't know. I'm revealing a lot more about the playtesting process in this episode than I usually do. I hope that's okay and I don't get in trouble for it. But yeah, <laughs> I just think it's really cool how they have been willing to really play front and center with major D and D lore figures, mm. um, between your Tasha and Morden Kynan, um, like being all up ends. And I think right, that's yeah. great. And that's, that's where I, I feel like, uh, and I've, I've talked about my crazy mashup idea of, of running this and going into descent mm-hmm. and her mm-hmm. connection to the hells and to Morden Kynan, uh, I think could be, a very easy hook like hey you just did this for me i've got another thing i want you to do you know uh, yeah, nice. and send send them off you know skip the whole baldur's gate and l stuff completely uh, and maybe she's decided that she wants to futz with who's going to rule avernus and and she wants to displace uh Zeriel or whatever you know whatever it is but you could very quickly turn it into descent into avernus from that because that's honestly one of my one concerns when i see an adventure that goes one to eight i know my players aren't going to want to stop at eight and now i have to figure out what the rest of the campaign is you know yeah yeah the the milestone leveling here is especially milestone yeah and it has to be because it's it's not it's intended to not be combat heavy yep yep i will say i was happy to see like when it, it was like oh it's an adventure one to eight and it uses milestone i'm like oh thank goodness because that means like i if i run this i might actually be able to finish it in a you know, in my lifetime, you know, because, uh, you know, campaigns can drag on, but not in a bad way, but like it turns out one through 15 or whatever can take a really long time if there's that much content for it. And so I think this one feels a little bit more, I don't know, accessible is the wrong word, but doable maybe is the right word. Right. It's not, it's not adding stuff just to justify leveling up constantly. It's it, everything that's there is, is fun and meaningful. Yep, I would agree with that. All right. Any other last thoughts uh, that anybody who we told not to listen to spoilers isn't going to hear? My my group is super looking forward to this based off of having already done a big chunk of it. Um, they want to. They def- definitely want to go back and and play around with it some more and and do it again. So um, that is high on my list of plans. I uh, I don't think I have anything specific except like I do love the magic items. The magic items are slick. <laughs> oh man, that uh, vor- that Vorpal sword though. Uh, yeah. that that cauldron though, that thing is mm. awesome. Sure, it's just but, just fascinating. But you're not gonna walk away with that cauldron. That's hers. <laughs> no, 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 not because you want to use it, but because it's neat. But they 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 have recaptured the Vorpal sword is super powerful, like it was in Second Edition. Yeah, it is. Like like if you crit, you just killed the thing. It doesn't matter what it is, as long as it has a head that can be cut off. And, and uh, it is immune if it has legendary actions. That's oh, that's true. So th- it doesn't take out take out the big bad evil guy. Yeah, but it's a giant pile of extra damage. Six d eight extra damage. Oh, cool. I I guess we're good. 
<laughs> yep. No, it is killer. Literally. So in the monster section, they give us the stat blocks for the League of Malevolence and Valor's Call, the adventuring party, um, which brings back uh, characters from uh, D&D's history, which is like War Duke, which is cool. But it's interesting that they're all statted out because chances are they're n- you're not actually going to fight them or anything. Right. Uh, might, but but it's just kind of interesting. It's like it's just a stat out. A lot of them aren't even fightable because they're frozen in time, and, by the, not, th- and right. by the time they're not, then there's Igwilv, and like that, there's no fighting now unless she like throws you in a pit and says kill each other, you know? Yeah. So I just thought that was interesting that they like, oh, we can we can put these in here and stat them, and now they're and now they're officially part of fifth edition, right? Uh, which is kind of cool, and yep. they're going to be miniatures for them if I remember correctly. Oh, nice. Oh, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Should we go ahead and call that the end of the episode? Yep, my battery's about to die, so I think we better. That sounds like that's well, and we've gone a good hour and twenty minutes, so I think that's that's the end. I want to thank all of our listeners who support us by uh, becoming patrons at Patreon.com/slash The Tome Show, such as Gene Crane, James D'Alessio, Jester David, Hyperlexic, Jill Sanders, Leonard Pelche, Doug Palmer, and Michael Harrison. I also want to thank our guests, Cato. Where can people go on the internet to find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at at KatoKatonian, K-A-T-O-K-A-T-O-N-I-A-N. All right. And Brandis Stoddard, where can people go if they want to find more Brandis in their lives? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Brandis Stoddard. I write for Tribality.com. My personal blog is BrandisStoddard.com, and my Patreon is Brandis Stoddard. We've uh, asked you that question on enough episodes that I think you've got your own little script about how to tell people where to find you. That would be correct. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to get a hold of us, you can email the tome show at gmail.com. I am on Twitter as at Squatch, S-Q-U-A-C-H. The show is at The Tome Show. We also have a Facebook page and a Discord channel. Uh, if you want to, uh, the Facebook one, you search for The Tome Show for Discord. Um, you can ask us on any of those other places or it is linked in the bio of our Twitter account. That is all for our surprise round episode where we teamed up with a straw man, an oil can, and a dandy lion as we discussed wild the, the wild beyond the witch light in this episode of I'm not a